The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 138 The Rise of Assyria As the rule of Uzziah ended, the whole Middle East region was in turmoil. The mighty Assyrian Empire, centered in northern Mesopotamia, began to rise. Surrounding nations scrambled to align themselves, either with Assyria or against it, in hopes of surviving the warlike nation's onslaught. God did not leave Israel or Judah helpless during this chaotic time. The prophets Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah were each sent to relay God's call for the nations to repent. Judah eventually responded to God's corrective message. Israel, however, did not. This refusal to repent led to the darkest hours of Israel's history. As the flourishing reign of King Uzziah in southern Judah was coming to a close, Jeroboam II of Israel died. Even though Jeroboam had been an evil king, God was merciful to the northern tribes of Israel, giving them a period of peace not seen since the days of King Solomon. Following the death of King Jeroboam, Zechariah ruled for only six months. He continued in his father's idolatrous ways. While he inherited a wealthy kingdom, Zechariah used the money to further his own luxurious lifestyle rather than building up the nation. It didn't take long before he became extremely unpopular with the people. The king was murdered at a public gathering by a man of high rank, Shalom. No one tried to stop Shalom from killing Zechariah, indicating he had already won the support of the people. Zechariah's death fulfilled the prophecy God had made 100 years earlier to his great-grandfather, King Jehu. Since Jehu was obedient in killing Ahab, God promised that his family would reign four generations in Israel. Zechariah was the fourth and last generation. Had Zechariah chosen to be obedient to God's law and to rule righteously rather than follow in Jeroboam's ways, then God would have allowed him to continue on the throne. Menahem, commander of the army of Israel, had started on a mission toward the north of Israel when news reached him that Zechariah had been killed and Shalom sat on the throne. Although many in Israel had become bitter toward the house of Jehu, the army had remained loyal. Menahem took a squadron of troops and hastened to return to Samaria. Once there, he promptly removed Shalom from the throne placing himself as king of Israel. Shalom's rule ended after only one month. After proclaiming himself ruler over Israel, Menahem returned to lead his army northward through the land of Syria. His goal was to capture the city of Tipsa on the bank of the Euphrates River. The famous river anciently acted as a border between the Syrian and Mesopotamian powers such as Assyria and Babylon. If Menahem could gain the support of this city, 
he would have a virtual fortress on the border of the growing Assyrian Empire. Setting up an Israelite garrison in Tipsa would allow Menahem to keep a close eye on the Assyrians. As Menahem ventured north with his army, he used the opportunity to reclaim the loyalties of the Syrian cities. When the Israelites had conquered the land of Syria during the reign of King Jeroboam II, they did not resettle it, but allowed the Syrians to continue ruling as long as they paid Israel an annual tribute or tax. After Jeroboam's death, it is likely that some of these Syrian cities stopped paying Israel. King Menahem brutally reminded the Syrians of their obligations. The cities of northern Syria, including Tipsa, began to hear reports of King Menahem's ruthless rampage through the land. The elders of each city had time to prepare for the appearance of the Israelite forces. Most of them chose to raise the money they owed the Israelites. Tipsa, however, was different. The elders of Tipsa figured that their city, with its large walls, could withstand an Israelite attack long enough to convince the Israelites to give up. Tipsa's residents quickly gathered stores of food and water inside the city to prepare for the impending siege. When the Israelite army arrived at the city walls, Menahem wasn't surprised that the gates were shut. He had anticipated Tipsa would not submit to Israelite rule without a fight. He commanded his officers to make camp just out of range of the archers on the city walls, yet clearly visible to its inhabitants. He wanted Tipsa's residents to lose heart when they saw they were completely outnumbered. His plan didn't work. The people of Tipsa refused to yield. As hours of inaction turned into days, Menahem became furiously impatient. These foolish foreigners, Menahem stewed to his officers in his royal tent. Don't they realize I'm being merciful by offering them the chance to surrender? We have waited long enough. Men, prepare your units to approach the wall. Trumpets blasted through the Israelite camp as the captains assembled their men to approach the city wall. In wave after wave, the Israelite infantry approached the city intending to scale the wall with massive ladders. The enemy archers high on Tipsa's walls released a barrage of arrows to slow the approaching army. Even with mounting casualties, Menahem sent more men toward the wall. Eventually, the Israelite army overwhelmed the Syrian archers, reaching the foot of the wall and making it difficult for the archers to fire directly below. A team of Israelite soldiers made it up the wall and inside the city. They fought their way to the city gate and opened it to the Israelite forces. The Israelite soldiers flooded into the city. Kill them all, men, women, and children. Menahem cruelly commanded his soldiers, let Tipsa be a warning to all Syrians who dare defy me. News of Menahem's brutality spread throughout the region. Rather than striking fear into the nations, however, this barbaric incident caused hatred for Israel to grow. After returning to Samaria with his army, Menahem greedily counted his new wealth. His kingdom may have grown rich, but that did not mean God was blessing it. National punishment was coming. Menahem's brutal rule lasted 10 years. During that time, the nation of Israel didn't think much about God. Toward the end of Menahem's rule, 
the nation began losing more and more territory to its neighbors. As Israel's territory dwindled, so too did much of the wealth in the royal coffers. A dark shadow hovered over the latter part of Menahem's rule. The Assyrian Empire was expanding. Assyria's new king, Tiglath-Pileser III, nicknamed Pul, began to dominate the Mesopotamian region between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Instead of relying on conscription during times of war, Pul decided to create a massive permanent army. This brutal and merciless professional army became feared throughout the Middle East as it conquered kingdom after kingdom. It was only a matter of time until Pul ventured south through Syria toward Israel. Syrian cities sent tribute to the Assyrian king, hoping to save their inhabitants from death or deportation. Others tried to defend themselves, but they were no match for their Syrian war machine. A few weeks after the southern Syrian city of Damascus pledged its allegiance to Pul, the Assyrian king readied his army to cross the upper Jordan River into Israelite territory. Hearing of Assyria's conquests, the usually brash and conceited Menahem grew increasingly fearful. Before the Assyrian army made it to Samaria, King Menahem assembled his chief officers. Listen, men, Menahem instructed, it will only be a day or two before King Paul is here with his massive army. We have two choices, close the city gates and try to last out a siege while the king ransacks the rest of our lands, or open our city gates and welcome the Assyrian king into our city, paying homage to him. If we're lucky, we might get off with paying him a small sum. The Israelite elders completely lacked faith in God. They refused to listen to the warning messages and instruction from the prophets God had sent. Steeped in their disobedience, they no longer trusted that God would fight for them. Hearing the options presented by the king, the elders agreed to welcome the fearsome Assyrian ruler into the city. King Menahem hurriedly transformed the whole city of Samaria into a festive welcoming party for the Assyrians. Indigo, red, and yellow ribbons and streamers were draped along the city streets. Flags featuring the Assyrian star were quickly created and hung from the rooftops of the houses lining the main street. Vegetables, fruits, nuts, and wine were all transported into the city from the farmlands of Samaria. Dozens of sheep and cattle were slaughtered in preparation. Just as the final provisions were being made, thousands of cavalry and foot soldiers were seen approaching Samaria from the east. Immediately, Menahem sent out a party of officers on horseback to the approaching mass of soldiers, raising high a white flag of truce. I come bringing good tidings from the king of Israel, one of the officers said. The Israelite alighted from his horse and bowed on the ground before the Assyrian king. Where is your king, they call Menahem, Pul demanded sternly. The king is in the city. He has prepared a bountiful banquet for you and your army to celebrate your arrival, the Israelite answered, keeping his head bowed toward the earth. Pul surveyed the city ahead. Looking to his right, he nodded to an Assyrian officer who sent a team to investigate the city. 
to see if it was a trap. Before long, the scouts returned to King Pool. What the Israelite messenger said is true, the officer announced. There is indeed a massive feast prepared for you. King Menahem himself welcomes you and the army to stay in Samaria to rest from your travels. The Assyrian army had been away from home for over a year and longed for a break in warfare. Realizing this, Pool accepted Menahem's offer and proceeded on to the capital city. A column of Assyrian cavalry trotted through the city gates to the sound of trumpets and cheering Israelites who had been instructed to welcome the foreign army. Samaria's main street led to the famous Ivory Palace. Constructed 100 years earlier during the time of King Ahab, King Menahem waited at the bottom of the steps for the Assyrian king. Welcome to our city, most noble King Pul, Menahem proclaimed concealing his fear. I welcome you in peace. I am surprised that a military man of your hostile reputation has decided to greet me thus, Pull calmly returned. Do you realize that I intend to take over your land? I'm sure we can come to some arrangement, hinted Menahem, maintaining his diplomatic posture. For now, come and eat. We have prepared quarters for you in the adjacent palace. A serious king obliged. His troops dispersed to find lodgings before returning to the feast. Pul realized Menahem's hospitality was insincere, but his army needed rest, so he decided to go along with it. A couple of weeks passed and the Assyrians were still being entertained by the Israelites. In the meantime, King Menahem scrambled to raise enough funds to bribe Pul not to take over the land of Israel. His tax collectors traversed the country, convincing wealthy landowners and merchants to each give 50 shekels of silver. Through the hurried efforts of the collectors, silver poured into the capital city of Samaria. After it was all totaled, 1,000 talents of silver, weighing approximately 35 tons, sat in the royal palace. This huge amount of silver will surely be enough to satisfy Pul, Menahem thought as he viewed the piles of treasure. Menahem then sent one of his servants to request the Assyrian king's presence. Shortly thereafter, Pul arrived at the palace accompanied by some of his servants. You called for me, Pul stated bluntly as he approached Menahem, standing at the bottom of his palace steps. Yes, all of Israel has come together to offer you a gift before you return to your land. A gift, you say, Pul replied, raising his eyebrows. He knew that this was actually intended to bribe him not to take over. However, the king needed money to fund future campaigns into other important regions beyond Israel, so he decided to play along. The two monarchs walked up the steps of the palace and entered the central courtyard where the mounds of silver glistened before them. Menahem's eyes were glued to Pul's face to see his reaction. Pul stared at the treasure for several seconds in silence, the corners of his mouth caught in a slight smile. Finally, he responded, This will do. My army will leave tomorrow. With that, he turned and left the courtyard. By daybreak the next morning, the whole Assyrian army was gone from Samaria. Israel had been saved from destruction, but it came at a high price. Like many events during this period of history, 
Ancient artifacts discovered in archaeological excavations confirm King Menahem's payment to King Tiglath-Pileser. Located within the Israel Museum in Jerusalem is an artifact known as the Iran Stele. The large stone monument records the military campaigns of Tiglath-Pileser, also known as Pul, during his first nine years as king. Part of the artifact can be translated. I received tribute from Rezon of Damascus, Menahem of Samaria. This describes the same event as relayed above and found in 2 Kings 15 verses 19 to 20. The artifact is powerful physical proof of the historical accuracy of these biblical events. Little is recorded in the Bible of the rest of Menahem's rule over Israel. However, it is likely that Israel continued to pay a yearly tribute to Assyria to keep it from conquering the land. This gave these northern ten tribes time to respond to God's prophets as they warned the nation of its eventual fall to Assyria. But Israel refused to be corrected and to respond. Menahem died from old age after ruling Israel for 10 years. His son Pekahiah continued the dynasty and ruled for two years. Like the Israelite kings before him, Pekahiah failed to turn the nation to God. His reign was cut short when his captain Pekah conspired against him. Pekah assembled a raiding party of 50 men from the Gilead region on the eastern side of the Jordan River. This indicates that Pekah was likely a leading figure from that district of Israel. With the help of these men, Pekah assassinated Pekahiah in his palace at Samaria and took the throne for himself. Life for the Israelites did not improve under Pekah. The constant tax burden they had to pay to Assyria year after year became increasingly difficult as God started to remove the prosperity they had grown accustomed to. In Judah, however, righteous leadership allowed God to continue to bless the nation. In the second year of Pekah's reign over Israel, Judah's king Uzziah died and was buried in a field near the tomb of the royal house of David. His son Jotham then came into full rulership of Judah. Jotham was 25 years old at the time. Especially from the time that Uzziah had been cursed with leprosy, Jotham had received much training from his father throughout his teen years, gradually taking on more and more responsibility for national affairs. Now he ruled alone. It was about this time that God raised up one of the greatest prophets in history, the prophet Isaiah. Israel, under King Jeroboam II, Zechariah, and Menahem, and Judah, under King Uzziah, had prospered with large harvests and successful military campaigns. However, the northern tribes of Israel failed to acknowledge God as the provider of the blessings they enjoyed. God needed a prophet to direct Israel and Judah to repent of their sins. The Bible does not give the exact age of Isaiah when he began to prophesy, but he was probably a young man. It does tell us when he was called into the prophetic office in the final year of Uzziah's life. On a day carefully chosen by God, he began to work with his new prophet. He did so in a dramatic way.
the blue sky above Isaiah began to brighten and glow. The brilliance at first blinded him, causing him to shield his eyes and turn away. But then he turned back and squinted toward the heavens. As his eyes adjusted, he saw the brilliance of a radiant and palatial throne room. The young man realized that he was viewing the great God. Isaiah saw God sitting on a glorious throne inside his heavenly temple. God's flowing robe filled the throne room. Fiery angels called seraphim surrounded the space above God's seat. Each angel had six large wings, two that covered their face, two that covered their feet, and two that gave them flight. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They cried in adoration for their creator. Isaiah stared in amazement as each resplendent angel sang a gorgeous ode to God, sending powerful earthquake-like tremors from the heavens. Like a thunderhead, smoke rolled out from the presence of God to fill the temple. Isaiah was understandably frightened by the unparalleled sight. He bowed his head toward the ground as his awe gave way to a feeling of his own inadequacy and sinfulness. He knew he was not worthy to see the great God. Woe to me! I am lost, he declared in shame. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I am dwelling among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Eternal of hosts. Isaiah sensed that God was calling him to fulfill a special purpose, but he believed he was unqualified to be God's mouthpiece. God, however, had plans to cure his unclean lips. Before Isaiah could react further, one of the six-winged seraphim appeared before him with a red-hot stone in its hand from the altar in God's throne room. The angel held the live coal to Isaiah's lips, saying, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your evil is taken away, and so your sin is forgiven. The ember did not burn Isaiah, but removed his unclean speech. Then, from the smoke-filled temple, Isaiah heard God ask, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? At that moment, Isaiah made up his mind. He was going to respond to this magnificent God. This was the God who created him, who created the angels, and who forgave his sins. Behold, I am here. Send me, he cried. God commissioned Isaiah to warn his people Israel and Judah. Following the death of Uzziah and into the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, God used the prophet Isaiah to send a clear message of the repentance necessary to turn away Israel.
to be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.